All right, well, it's been two years since we set up the ULM tanks here, and about 18 months since we added corals. Yeah. When, when was the last update? Uh, we had one in August last year, and you were kind of piecing together how to start a ULM, but I think the biggest update, this is gonna be the biggest one for about nine months or so. I think probably the biggest one ever because we're gonna go over like uh, the current state of things, mm -hmm. we're going to tell you all of the wins, all of the fails, but more importantly, we're gonna give you some pretty strong beliefs on, now after two years of attempting to mm. maintain an ultra low maintenance tank, what actually makes up a successful path for that. So we're gonna share that real quick for you. You guys are gonna be able to see that right up front. So uh, I don't know, this, this update's gonna be a pretty cool journey. All right, so just as a quick refresher for some of you that maybe uh, forgot or haven't seen, <laughs> uh, what we're trying to do with the ULM series here. We were trying to create an ultra low maintenance tank. Hands off. And part of that was because yeah, this was sparked by a lot of talk in the community about uh, low to no water changes. So it kind of sparked that thought process of, if the biggest part of my maintenance rhythm is water changes, and now I've kind of eliminated that or had the possibility of eliminating that, uh, what else can I make ultra low maintenance? Like feeding, and I mean, that even sparked, uh, spidered off into like the choice of the tank, the choice of equipment, the lighting and things like that. So, I mean, we really broke down what low maintenance was. Yeah, really, you know, I think uh, there's a lot of people talking about like low to minimal water changes for a long time, but Triton like really kind of mm. sparked that and like elevated the conversation. Mm. But in the end, it went beyond that. And what we were really talking about is a tank where we can spend just a handful of minutes a month mm -hmm. and maintain it, is it possible? And that's actually where tank trials came in, yeah. you know? And so they would call this a tank trial because sometimes we just like tell you what to do. You know, here's some information, right. you know, here's how to run carbon the best or mm -hmm. whatnot. And sometimes you need to challenge common thought and like, I don't know if it works until you've tried it for a couple of years and then you can give feedback. Yeah, this is one of those cases. Real world tank advice, which everybody kind of wants to know. Like, like you said, we can preach the theory and, and what has been known in the hobby forever, but I, Show the proof, the proof is in the pudding. And the pudding here in this case is the tanks and if we were able to achieve it. Yeah, my favorite part is actually the bad stuff. Right? <laughs> yeah, for I mean, sure. Like, I mean, everybody will tell you all the things that are doing great, but like, let's learn the things that didn't work so everybody can avoid that stuff too. True. Uh, and so for me, uh, documenting those results, learning all of those lessons, and another cool part we did with the ULM series is we tried to do it like with different tank styles and mm -hmm. budgets. So there's three different tanks here. There was a ULM uh, softy tank with polyps in it, and then we had the LPS tank and an SPS tank and like all of them on different budgets too. Like one of them trying to keep it really low yeah. and the other one just like throw gear at it like crazy. <laughs> and they produce different results. And I'm gonna tell you right up the front. Yeah. The one where you threw money and gear at it was not the best one. Failure. Uh, in fact, all the way failure. Yeah. yeah. Uh, through all of these updates we've been doing, the most valuable part has been the lessons learned. And so if you wanna achieve ultra low maintenance, I think we should start off right off the bat with uh, if you want to achieve ultra low maintenance, this is what we've learned and how to do it. So I agree, man. Normally we'd bury all this stuff at the very end. You'd have to suffer through the whole thing to hear the results. But I think we're gonna put that right up front for you because a lot of people just want to know, like, uh, how do I run a ULM? And we're gonna be super brief up here because you're gonna hear all the details at oh, the yeah. end. But if you just want to like hear like a uh, bullet point, 
how the best ways to do an ultra low maintenance tank, or at least that we believe, uh, we're gonna start off right there. And one of the first things I'm gonna do is I'm gonna tell you that a uh, all-in-one tank is yep. a super great option. You can tell right here that you don't need a sump to be successful. Uh, people have been told that for a long time, and it just isn't true. Yeah, if you're not gonna do it in an ultra low maintenance, 60 gallon cube is my go-to. Uh, footprint size, you know, maintenance-wise, Solid choice. I also would have told you that the softy tank in the beginning was probably the lowest maintenance. I will tell you that's not true. It's really the LPS tank if you're thinking about it long term. Absolutely. Yeah, and then dosing for uh, you know for your alkalinity, calcium, trace and minor elements. Do it in one part and do it with one single dosing pump. That's the Tropic Marin Alpha Reef. Yeah, you can dose calcium alkalinity in one single solution. We've been using it for years now here. Uh, and uh, actually, uh, Zach has been using it on his SPS tank uh, for many years now. So super successful. Uh, I will also tell you the lights here. And everybody knows we love the Kessels. They're super easy. Just turn them to the mm -hmm. right uh, spectrum to your eye. They're really hard to overpower anything. SPS tank, you add the T5s in, it works super awesome. Yeah, and uh, for me, I did this in my own office too after the ULM tanks, the RODI and ATO. That means uh, my RODI unit is plugged in, or is plumbed directly into a single uh, container RODI reservoir, so I don't have a, a, an unlimited access to water into my tank. Yeah, so if you want to lower maintenance, that means not hauling buckets of water all over the place. <laughs> yeah. uh, and there's super safe ways to do that. I think a lot of people have said don't do it in the past. Mm -hmm. I'm going to tell you for sure that there's ways to do it, and we'll tell you about it in a minute. And related to not hauling buckets of water, auto water changes. Mm -hmm. Easy to do. Yeah, well, again, we're going to harp on that super, super. I think that's the number one uh, low maintenance thing in the whole thing, so we'll get to that. Uh, also, the MP10s uh, in the tanks uh, turned out to be, you know, I think we've talked about this at length, too. Yeah. They're just the easiest to clean, so swap out the wet sides and you're done. That definitely turned out to be the case here. I think coming from stemming from ultra low maintenance is now our approach to return pumps where dual return pumps on every system for redundancy. Uh, you just can't beat a setup like that. Uh, I think Randy and I are going to debate this one as well, but uh, sand versus no sand. <laughs> uh, I personally think that probably having sand in there is actually uh, lower maintenance mm -hmm. than not having sand, but it really depends on whether you're talking about year one or all the years mm -hmm. after. Yeah, and some would say that uh, the cost of the Apex might not be ultra low maintenance, but when it comes to a tank monitor and these tanks never seeing a crash, close to, but not seeing like a crash because we were able to monitor it and catch it up front, tank monitoring, absolute win. Yeah, you absolutely need to know when something failed and it will save you. Yeah, and you're going to hear about the fails and uh, wins with a refugium, but in this case, if you're going to use a refugium for primary nutrient control, controllable light, being able to dim it down rather than the power of the sun all the time on this thing, uh, we could have done that better. And lastly, just keep it simple as one of the things with the ULM. Don't think that technology is going to solve all of your problems for you because it's not. In fact, the most technologically advanced tank we had actually failed here mm. uh, from a ULM perspective. So like put in technology that makes sense, like having a monitor yep. maybe versus a controller uh, or using the controller as a monitor first and building into that. That's a lot of the things that I would just tell anybody who's looking for an ultra low maintenance system. If you can incorporate all that in your tank, you're probably like way, way, way beyond a lot of people. If your goal is to not let the tank like totally take over your life. Yeah. But we're gonna just transition here now and uh, like if you wanna hear why we actually came to these conclusions, yeah, there's some legit stuff here, right? Yeah. And so we're gonna hear about all all the wins with these tanks and then but all of the losses as well yep all right so we're gonna kind of hit on the wins of all three tanks but I'm gonna start with just one really obvious one for me which is 
I really do think that the 60 gallon cube turned out to be a pretty good ULM. Yeah, if, I mean, if you're not going to do the all-in-one, which we found out later after doing the BRS-WWC hybrid, that that was a really solid choice. Uh, the 60-gallon cube, I've had a 93 uh, tank before, and, I mean, the dimensions are awesome, but the depth is tough for maintenance, uh, especially getting my arm down in there and stuff. So the 60 kind of shortens that down, makes it a lot easier to maintain. Yeah, so you just paint the back of the tank black, drill some holes in it, throw your uh, Synergy Reef overflow or whatever kind of overflow you want to put in there and uh, plumb it together, man, it's done. Uh, it's super, super easy. Yeah, and if you get the big, uh, if you get the uh, the large tank manufacturer, or the tank manufacturers, well-known ones, uh, you know, well, widely used, I mean, they have standard stands, but the stand is uh, pretty decent. Uh, and, you know, overall, that combination of a tank and stand like that, probably one of the cheaper options. Yeah, maintenance as well. So like if I'm gonna do a water change on a 60 gallon tank, it's six gallons. Yeah, right? true. So I find a seven gallon pail or whatever and make it super easy. One bucket in, one bucket out, mm -hmm. uh, or in reverse of that actually. <laughs> true. Uh, but uh, yeah, super easy. It's just a good size, man, where you don't want it to take over your life. All right, so starting with some of the wins on the softy tank, uh, this one's gonna be universal across all, like, and you've heard this a hundred times, right. but you're gonna hear it again. Yeah, I mean, auto water changes. Uh, that was something that we, we discovered it and then decided to implement it on the, um, on these ULM tanks, and in this case, it's in your office, and I mean, you harped on that in the series that you know, you're working in here, you don't wanna hear the doses run, you don't wanna hear the auto water change, because uh, in the speed of the, the way we're doing auto water changes, the dose does have some audible noise, but your doses are in the warehouse, you'll never hear the water change happen. Probably goes uh, 10 feet up and maybe 40 feet over. Yeah, big uh, wind. Yeah, and 10 feet back down. Yeah, so super easy, man, water changes. You have one bucket out there, fills it up. Uh, you're just gonna fill up one tank and it's done. I, I won't set up another tank that doesn't have this unless it's just like totally impossible. Right. Right. So figure out a way. There's always a way around the house, underneath the house, above the house, or whatever way. <laughs> you, know, you can get through the walls. You can run it along the walls and little cord hiders. But if you want an ultra low maintenance tank, you can do water changes. And I'm going to tell you that low maintenance means not dealing with challenges. Yeah. Like not dealing with all the problems that like in a uh, you know developing a tank. And so water changes, like, like you just don't have problems because like they just don't materialize. Ultimate stabilizer. Yeah. yeah, all kinds of things that could be problem just won't be. So like for me, it's just way easier than rather, it's like the ounce of prevention versus pound of cure. Right. So out of water changes, like huge, huge thing was a win on all of these things. Uh, also again, the all for reef. Yeah. So maybe a little explanation, but uh, what that actually is. Yeah, the all for reef uh, kind of came around because we knew, so th the original approach of the softy tank in, in particular was, uh, it's a low demand type tank. I mean, we're not building uh, skeletal score, uh, coral structure. There's gonna be some demand there. Maybe the water changes don't supplement enough, so we will have to add in some kind of alkalinity and calcium, but probably not enough to warrant like a two-part and two dosing pumps. Uh, definitely not enough, maybe not enough for a, like a calcium reactor or something like that, caulkwasser or anything like that. So, uh, and because we were using one single ATO reservoir, you know, calcwasser just kind of wasn't uh, a thing for this one. Um, but with that, then the solution was, why not have one dosing pump and run all for reef. So now we're taking care of, and with the low consumption, we're not using a whole lot of all for reef, uh, in which case, like even cost effective wise, on the softy tank, which was meant to be cost effective, uh, we're still in that ballpark. 
Yeah, so all fresh like really other than Kelkwasser, which has like you have to do tons of it and be careful with mm. it and whatnot. This is like a it's like dosing two part, but in one. Yeah. Right? It's just super, super easy. I, we've used it on a lot of tanks now, including Zach's again mm -hmm. and his SPS tank. These two here, uh, long term now. And you know, again, it's just calcium uh, fromate or formate. Formate. Mm -hmm. And uh, just super, super easy solution. Comes with trace elements and stuff in it. So I don't know, I would absolutely use that again on a lot of tanks that don't have super high demand, but even with Zax, it has pretty high demand, it works there. So, I don't know, I'd call that, I mean, I, I, oh. there isn't anything easier, you know, a for part? a one-on-one -on -one part, yeah, right? True. So if you're looking low maintenance, man, that's it. So again, like related to water changes actually is like the top and off water and carrying buckets of mm -hmm. water around. Yeah. So what we did in this case, just a refresher, is we had one reservoir that's topped off with a float valve here. And then we have auto top offs that feed out of that one reservoir here. Mm -hmm. They have their own float valves in the sumps and we have water alarms and all that stuff. And there's just so many, so much information out there that says don't hook up your RO system directly to your uh, tank. tank. Yeah. And like, you are adding some danger to it, but like, you know, be rational. Like, I don't have five layers of redundancy on my refrigerators, like water either, right? right? You know, like, but it's, it's a single line, constant stream of water at any time could put water all over my floor. Yeah, it could. Yeah. In the end, if you put like four layers of redundancy on this and you never haul another bucket of uh, fresh water, you're doing it safely and, uh, or I think it's safe enough, safe, I guess. Yeah, yeah. And, uh, and you're reducing a ton, a ton of work and adding stability because it's never going to go off. Well, I'm not going to forget to top off. I've done it so many times. It happens so many times around the office. We come back on a Monday and there's alarms all through the office because beep, people, beep, yeah, people beep, aren't, beep. Uh, they didn't top off their reservoir before a long weekend or what have you. Same thing at home. You know, you go on vacation, you go, uh, or you're just gone or not paying attention. I'm guilty of not paying attention and just letting it run dry. And uh, then you, again, your stability. Yeah, and uh, I'm gonna hit again on the dual return pumps. I mean, there's so many of these things actually you're hearing like, oh yeah, I've heard this from these guys before. Right. But like uh, we're applying these things and learning and like, you know what? These are continually the right moves. So in this tank, we had a couple of AC pumps running mm -hmm. in it, you know, just looking for a less expensive option. Uh, and it totally worked, man. Like the less expensive option eventually got clogged uh, and uh, failed. And the other one just keeps kept going, on going, man, right? And yeah. so the water's still going through. And then you have time to come, to come in here and I can swap out the other one, clean them both. True. And actually one just failed completely. Yeah. And uh, so this happened more than once. So the dual return pumps absolutely mm. worked. And it's just one of those things like where if you say it out loud, you're like, yep, I agree that on a reasonable line timeline, man, they're gonna get gummed up, they're gonna get calcium carbonate on them, they're gonna suck up a rock, they're gonna suck up some like rogue uh, catamorpho that's, you know, went yeah. over. You know, all kinds of different things happen to your return pumps. So having two is just way better than one, and two small ones usually costs around the same <laughs> as one big one, so it's just a total no-brainer in my pen. And like when you're setting a brand new tank up, do it for sure. Yeah, and I think uh, what you were talking about on the softy tank in particular and the fail of one pump completely uh, really leads into our next one, and that's the APEC, or that's the monitoring across all three tanks where we can have power monitoring. Like, how would we have known that one was going out, what was out, unless we didn't feel it, didn't watch the return on one side? I mean, because the other one's still kind of going. Yep. We wouldn't know that it failed if we didn't have the power monitoring on and, could, and it didn't send us an alert saying, hey, it's not drawing any power, I mm -hmm. failed.
Yeah, so having monitoring around to tell you when things failed is absolutely uh, awesome. And like on a ULM, I'm just gonna say it. I don't think a controller is actually the most important thing. Like, you know, turning like, off and yeah, on. Yeah, because ULM means like I don't want to like read 80 manuals and 50 different videos mm. about it, whatever. I just want to plug it in, and turn it on. Yeah. So like having you know some sort of a monitor and just setting it up to let me know when something happens so I can do about it feels a little bit more ULM to me than right. setting up a full advanced controller. Yeah. So uh, monitoring, you know, really worked out for me. Uh, the auto feeders worked out really well. Mm. You know, so just you know turn it on and feeding the fish every day. Yeah, we put uh, small, high-energy fish in here that uh, once a day feeding might not keep up with their metabolism, but in the case of the auto feeder, we can now feed them three times a day and not even have to touch it. Just yeah. remember to fill the fish feeder. That was one of the uh, things that we did. mm -hmm. didn't do all the time. So another thing that worked, uh, I'll just say two of them actually real quick. Uh, the Kessel Light worked, but I won't, uh, you guys have all heard the pitch on the Kessel Light, <laughs> like why it works. It's just two little knobs, super easy, mm -hmm. it's out of the way. The little bracket works really nice now too. There's no cords or anything. Uh, I, like really easy to manage, like you don't do anything to it. So like, like you never wonder, it. it just works. Yep. So in relation to that, the Instatank of, if you're looking oh, for an yeah. Instatank ULM, Day one. the Softy Tank, man, is absolutely obviously it. If you followed any of the updates or follow me on Facebook or whatnot, you will have seen like, this tank just flourishes so fast. It right? grew and grew and grew. There was hard, like no setbacks that I can that I can remember in the Softy Tank. We put little bits of Softy Coral in there and everything just grew. Uh, like from the beginning, it was like, didn't matter that the tank wasn't perfectly stable or anything, uh, just worked. Yeah. Right? So if you're looking sure. for that kind of uh, mentality, I, I'd say that the Softy tank actually was one of the easiest ULMs from the beginning, right? And related to that, you know, part of ULM is absolutely picking the type of tank you want. Mm -hmm. If you're gonna pick the hardest tank out there, uh, type of tank, like an SPS tank or right. something, or an NPS tank, it's not ULM, really. You can make it lower maintenance, but it's not ULM. So this was absolutely that from the very, very, very beginning. Up next for the win on the softy tank is the flow. And like you've heard a bunch of times with the MP10s and swapping them out for easy maintenance. Uh, in this case, in all the tanks, they were mounted on the back of the glass. They're out of sight, out of mind. And two was all we needed for the flow in the softy tank. You don't need a whole lot of flow in this tank. And uh, so we were able to put these things on like the reef crest mode. Um, but at the bottom of the tank and being placed at the bottom of the tank, it's able to kick up that detritus, get it suspended in the water column and down the overflow to the filtration. No siphoning, uh, like yeah. garbage, right? And uh, what's the next one? Yeah, solid choice on the pumps. And then also, uh, like we were talking about, the bare bottom tank itself. In this case, when we're talking ultra low maintenance, where if I had a sand tank, I'd probably want to vacuum out the tank or I want to vacuum out the sand periodically, but I'm doing auto water changes, so my hands are out of the tank when it comes to water changes. So unless I manually want to remove some uh, stuff out of the bottom, having a bare bottom tank with that flow kicking up, keeping the detritus suspended, makes it ultra low maintenance even further. Yeah. Another one I thought was pretty cool that turned out, and like, I don't know, I just didn't think about this before, was, uh, you know, the pretty inexpensive sump that we used, yeah. which is just a... 20 long glass tank. Yeah, just a yeah. 20 long glass tank. You pick one up for 20 bucks or something at Petco on sale. Uh, and 
Uh, we used a sheet of uh, aqua, aqua mesh. mesh. Yep. Yeah, and you just make it a little divider. Using that, and you could hold in the catamorph if you wanted, mm -hmm. or you could uh, just separate the tanks a, a little bit to so make sure nothing's flowing into the return pumps. Yeah. It's just a super easy way, and it actually catches some like micro bubbles and stuff in there as well. Mm -hmm. So you don't necessarily need all kinds of fancy uh, baffles no. or whatnot. No, and I've tried that before too, and I've cut myself on glass. I've broken a bunch of glass trying to make my own sumps out of 20 longs and 40 breeders, and then silicone and trying to get the you know the baffles the right height and all this other stuff. Uh, if I was ever going to DIY my own sump again, aqua mesh. It was really really easy. So uh, I wouldn't say like the most advanced solution out there, but you don't need the most advanced no. in many cases, just right? Divide up some water it, And it's actually probably way easier to clean as well. You can just pull that little thing out when you're yep. done and siphon out. You don't have to try to get it down in between the baffles and stuff, which yep. is often nearly True. impossible. So low maintenance is just a 20 long uh, with some aqua mesh. I would say year one, this was absolutely the lowest maintenance tank that we had. It Hands was super, down. super easy, but it actually started to overgrow at that point, and we'll get to in just a minute. Yep. But what we really learned was actually the benefits of an LPS tank, which we're going to move on to, all the wins in the LPS tank. I'm going to say the LPS tank for sure is the lowest maintenance in the end uh, for a few reasons. Probably the main reason why this one works the best longer term is uh, you start with little frags and they're slow growers. They build a, uh, they lay down a, a skeletal structure, so you know they are consuming alkalinity and carbon and things like that out of the water, uh, which just inherently means they grow slower. The softies just grow like weeds in a lot of cases, and depending on which coral you choose, can overgrow like weeds. But in this case. I mean, I can watch my tank mature, and then it fills up uh, pretty well, and then and then the stability, because I, it took so long to get there, I'm, I'm just getting that maturity in the tank and the stability down the road. Yeah, you know what? It's just easier to manage the growth, end of story. So one of the things that did work that we ultimately switched away from was the Kelkwasser Stir, and that was the Avast Marine. It has a little probe for a pH probe if you want to use mm -hmm. one, but more importantly, it just slowly stirs it up and then like pumps the water through it. Yeah, this was an interesting setup that uh, I never really thought about before, but uh, rather than feed, I mean, some, some people will feed ROD, our RODI water through it constantly or something like that. We used a dose dosing pump and we we fed the or we fed the Kalkstir through the dose, which means now we can regulate how much and when uh, the Kalk slurry went into the tank. Yeah. So a lot of people use Kalkwasser like on the auto top off and mm -hmm. it just kind of batches to evaporation, which makes it like not all that accurate, right? right. So if you uh, put in a Kalk stir, as long as there's enough new Kalk in there, which you know you don't have to replace that often, mm -hmm. it stays pretty consistent strength, right? And so if you pump the water slowly through it. You can just figure out how much. It's just like a one-part machine at that point, right? Yeah, true. Uh, so it's like two-part. You can just figure out how much you need to dose every day, and it's much more accurate than just like being dependent on how much your auto top-off pumps in a day, right? Yeah. Uh, and so, I don't know, that worked out really well, but ultimately, based on the experience here, switched over. The easiest thing is a dosing pump, and the Alpha Reef was so easy. Mm -hmm. right? Like a one part, like that, you just don't have to worry about whether or not it's mixed up. You don't have to worry about the spin bar. Mm -hmm. no, more equipment, a dosing pump, and uh, like a one jug of solution is the easiest solution out there. So, you know, if you're we're looking for a ULM, you just have to pick the right solution for the right job, and that was definitely it. 
So again, uh, same on this tank as it was on the softy tank, the dual return pumps, uh, just a big win all around and in every case that we've set them up in that type of configuration. This one had the Varios two DC controllables, really small footprint on it, probably the, one of the best in this configuration and uh, just quiet, DC pumps, worked okay. really well. Most importantly, actually we haven't even had to use both because in this case, neither one of them <laughs> has ever failed. That's true. Uh, but yeah, the, one of the cool things is that Varios two comes in that tiny, tiny, tiny form factor, mm -hmm. right? But I, I feel like we know we're covered. And uh, just to kind of wrap up the uh, LPS tank here, uh, like same things, the Kessel worked, uh, yep. the RODI worked, yep. the auto water changes worked, uh, and uh, we did put an ambient temp probe, uh, I guess this is on all of them, but one of the things is my office here is on the, like a- It a, fluctuates. A, Terrible, terrible HVAC uh, <laughs> thing where the temp, the uh, thermostat and everything else is in the other room. So my room's always hot or mm. cold, uh, one or the other. So having that on there, you know, lets us know we can solve the problem before that. And uh, also the plumbing on both of these tanks actually uh, turned out really, really good and just super easy to maintain, real, no effort. Yep. All right, so what worked on the SPS tank? Well, it's not here, it's not here. Uh, <laughs> so it doesn't exist anymore. That one just totally failed, and mm. we just decided that you know you can have a, a SPS tank that is lower maintenance than others, but I just wouldn't consider one of the harder corals or more advanced corals to be ultra low maintenance. I just don't think it's wise to consider it that way. Yeah, so in that spirit, the wins for the SPS tank was ultimately finding that the BRS WWC hybrid method, bringing in this all for one, or this all-in-one tank, the E170, uh, and just going down that path with this tank instead, total win. Yeah, that one caught, caught me kind of uh, by surprise, actually. Yeah. So uh, if you watch the hybrid method, or if you haven't, you should probably go watch at least the update. It's yeah, pretty sure. interesting. You know, we take and combine the stuff that works in like an aquaculture facility and combine it with the stuff that you'd actually do at home and produce a you know method. And I mean, this tank's only got nine months of growth from corals. They were like little nubbins. <laughs> uh, there are tiny, tiny things. In nine months, it already turns out like Looks this. Looks fantastic. Uh, yeah, and so, like for me, I found out that, you know, scale it, scale it back. If it's an SPS tank and you want a low maintenance, like an all-in-one's a perfect option for mm. that. You know, water changes are gonna be a really big thing. Less reliance on equipment, more reliance on like, uh, I mean, I guess in this case, the auto water changes are a dosing pump, but right. they don't have to be. They could just be a bucket. The size this, like this is one bucket of water change every week. Yeah, no sump to deal with. Uh, so, I mean, I don't have to, there's other pieces of equipment that go down in the sump and there's plumbing and there's, uh, you know, just a, a, there's an added hassle factor, I guess you could say to some degree with having a sump. And the all-in-one just goes in the back through the chambers and back out the front. Uh, really uh, not much to think about. So net-net here is the uh, hybrid method 170 actually turned out to be way more ULM than we thought. Oh, yeah, for right? sure. I wouldn't call it like ultra low maintenance, but it's pretty it's close. Uh, it's right on the edge of whether or not <laughs> I call it that. And in this case, some of the other options that we did, the flow worked out really well. So it's just two inexpensive gyre pumps mm -hmm. that are, are spinning around. I think it was the ice cap versions. Yeah. Uh, and uh, again, no sump to manage. We had established rock in this case, which was a big deal. We actually used the rock from the SPS tank uh, mm -hmm. prior in here, which made it a lot easier. Uh, and uh, I don't know, man, limited filtration. It was just, uh, this was probably the biggest wins for an SPS ULM. It's actually not following the ULM series, but following right. the WWC series.
All right, so moving on to everybody's favorite part, uh, where we failed for <laughs> sure. Uh, and for me, that is with the softy tank, we actually had largely a success. I would tell you this was a perfect uh, yeah. like ULM in general. Yeah, I mean, who wouldn't want like a tank that's chock full of corals from the day from day one, just looks good, uh, grows out really well. Uh, but within that, there is you know some inherent problems, and that the biggest one for us on this one was the coral choice. Uh, so everybody knows uh, GSP, Green Star Polyps, looks really awesome, and it, it does re look really awesome in this tank. It's kind of like this grass feel on the bottom, but it's growing up the sides, it's taking over some rock, so you kind of, ultra low maintenance is not constantly pruning and pruning and pruning on the in this case. Yeah, I, I agree. So there's lots of different things about this tank where everything is just growing so fast that mm. makes it not ultra low maintenance anymore. It was in the beginning, but it's not just about where you are, but where you're going, right? Right. And so from this point on, this tank is going to require a decent amount of pruning and uh, management to make sure that the uh, corals don't get overgrown. Uh, so the next one here actually kind of totally caught us off guard, which was uh, the Fuge. And I'm just going to jump to the point. The Fuge didn't work on any of the three tanks. Fail right? on all three. Yeah, and so there's a couple of things I think we should just dive into right away about why that might be. Uh, and so, like, there was three tanks, and we we're gonna really like, we're like, man, Fuge is gonna be part of the yep. filtration here, and it's because we had so much success with the 160 yep. and some other tanks, you know, at the time, and uh, all the experiments we were doing and whatnot. And ultimately, what we found was like uh, a lot of the lights that you can, you know, implement that are, you know, two feet off of the sump in a different area right. don't work when they are six inches off the water, they're just too powerful. Yeah, if you right. don't have the ability to like tune them down or you know, tune them down, probably being the ultimate factor here, uh, then trying to put it in a space like the 60 gallon cube under the sump, uh, I mean, it doesn't matter how high you get it, even if you were to stick it to the bottom of the tank, it's just not enough room to handle that much light. We use the, uh, the H380s to begin with, uh, without didn't have a dimmable feature, um, then moved to the ones haven't we were having problems with the fuge. I mean the Kato was melting. Uh, it was probably just burning the heck out of the Kato. Uh, so we were getting clumps. A lot of the stuff was just break separating from the Katos and going into the return pumps. Just turned into a sloppy mess, and we probably just had way too much light on it. Eventually just tap out, right? Yeah. And so the not of water changes were working and it just wasn't worth the, uh, the hassle anymore. Yeah. Uh, but now there's the 360 or 380X, yeah. right? Which allows you to tune it. You know, the AI Prime has one yeah. and there's like a variety of different options that are out there that are tunable. But I would actually say that, you know, I would use a sump that was actually designed for this now mm. because we tried to like repurpose some areas of a few of the sumps. It just didn't work out. Right. And you know, the stuff would like go through it or over it and it was just, uh, I don't know. I just would prefer to use it in a sump that kind of had a natural area for it or you know, hang one off the side of it or, or something. Mm -hmm. It just didn't super work out that way. And so in experiments, we were able to turn it on day one, Yeah. right? And then like have it like soak up all the nutrients mm -hmm. from the fish and stuff. On a live tank, it just didn't work that way. Right. And so if I had to do it again, what I would do, or, or what I'll do from this point on rather, 
is I will start the tank without the refugium, let it cycle, mm -hmm. let it get some nutrients into the water, and then turn it on. And I probably won't like turn it on max, and I probably won't turn it on like 12 hours a day immediately. I'll like use the acclimation function yeah. or whatever and slowly build it up. So related to the refugium failure, uh, we added a skimmer uh, into the skimmer area, I guess, uh, yeah. be, well, outside of our aqua mesh. And so that obviously works because the skimmer is pretty uh, uh, like well-known technology. Yeah. But let's move on to the LPS one. This is actually pretty short on failures, uh, but uh, first one, Fuge again. Same thing. Uh, and then the second one was? Yeah, this is the bare bottom Insta tank. And this uh, was a hard lesson we learned. We learned it again in the 750XXL. Uh, but bare bottom from day one, in, in almost every case, just difficult for the first year. Mm -hmm. Like we d didn't come into the understanding until later when we spoke with WWC and Josh and kind of helped us realize this. And then doing it uh, again within a bare bottom tank that the bare bottom in, in general is just harder in that first year. Mm -hmm. Yeah, so we had some mortalities of uh, corals. We had to replace some over time. Uh, and I just would say I just, I just didn't know. Yeah. Right? And we like, learn stuff every year. We try new things. We share it with you guys. And you know, people have been talking about bare bottoms, and this was like uh, actually our first attempts at bare bottoms. Yeah, it was. Right? And so, like, I don't know. People say it's harder. What does that even mean? Yeah. You know, I, I don't know. Now I know. It's a lot harder, and by harder it means patience. Like the first mm. year is just gonna have like the blooms. bacteria, yeah. Uh, but it just takes longer, especially I think if you're using dry rock too. Like if you're using dry rock and uh, no sand, mm. uh, it's a combo, man. You're definitely gonna have to fight through. Like actually, this tank like was really really easy and so it had one year established rock Already, in it yeah. yeah and didn't have any sand but it just didn't seem to be a problem because the rock had been around for so I long. I mean we with that we proved you know Josh's concept of in he told us early on he said if he was going to set up when they go to set up a, t a new tank they try their best, if, if possible, to start with mature established rock. In every case, that's, that's their first choice to go with. If that's not available to them, they'd use the dry rock, but with the understanding that they are going to have to wait longer. It is gonna, definitely going to take longer. So yeah, I, I think that was kind of one of the fails on all of these tanks is like not taking that advice seriously enough. Like what harder really means, mm. it means go way, way slower. Uh, and so if you're going to go bare bottom, you're going to go bare bottom dry rock combo, yeah. no for sure, it's just gonna take longer. That's really all we learned because largely the SPS tank after that man, has been a huge success, right? <laughs> yeah, that's true. All right, so this is the big one, right? <laughs> uh, what could we have done differently or what were the fails of the SPS tank that doesn't exist in this room anymore? Yeah. Uh, again, this one replaced that one in a much simpler format. And uh, again, I, I'll just say it again, it's just a bad idea to consider a like full wall-to-wall -wall SPS tank mm. as a ULM. Well, and and within that too, thinking that throwing as like a bunch of dollars and a bunch of equipment and all of this other stuff at uh, if we throw more complex equipment, maybe it makes this more you know maybe more advanced type of coral tank type to uh, make it easier in ultra low maintenance. Didn't wasn't the case. Yeah, so some of you are out there saying, no, 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 I have a ULM uh, uh, SPS tank. I have almost no maintenance in it. Now, like, it's probably true that you have a tank that doesn't, like, take over your life. Right. But 
If you're really advising somebody else who says, I want to have a reef tank in my life that is the easiest to take care of, nobody would recommend an SPS tank. <laughs> no, I don't right? think so. And so like, I think we just need to think about it from that standpoint. And uh, like, that's the first thing I just think about is don't think about an SPS tank. It's probably partially why I failed uh, also. But a really big one is not understanding the whole bare bottom thing. I mean, in the end, the SPS tank failure, I mean, stuff died. Um, it was a sad state of, there was some really nice corals in there. Uh, and it's sad to see that stuff die. Uh, but again, tank trials, so we're learning as we go here. Uh, and we probably learned that, uh, what did we, how did we learn that they die? We have, really don't have a, a firm grasp on why. Uh, biggest guess is that stability thing, especially you know, seeing the E170 now. You know, so that's the cool thing actually about the tank trial thing is like that nobody likes to see corals die. Yeah. Right? It's like a, a sad event. Uh, but at the same time, man, a lot of times, man, I look at our failures and I get excited about them because I get to go share them, mm -hmm. right? And like, oh, man, we learned something here. Now, like hopefully uh, 10,000 people will watch this yeah. thing and say, oh, I won't do that either. Yeah, true. And ultimately, like saving all kinds of organisms' lives, right? Mm. Uh, and so, like, I, I know I, I've, we've seen it in so many different areas where that uh, actually turns out to be the case. Mm -hmm. And in this one, I, I think the message that we're really getting across a lot here is the message about the bare bottom and expectations. Like, yeah. you didn't have the sand in there so that we didn't, like, you know, end up with a detritus trap and a nutrient trap mm -hmm. and, like, old tank syndrome and all that stuff and all the maintenance of cleaning it and all that other stuff. But ultimately, we now all have a better grasp of what the alternative is, mm -hmm. which is uh, like a much longer road in the beginning. Yeah, right? it helps you set your expectations. If you decide to go the bare bottom route, be prepared for X. And you know, we learned it the hard way ourselves. So this is one of the things where Randy and I like differ, right? And so we discussed this a little bit earlier. Mm -hmm. And so for me, if I set up an ultra low maintenance tank again, I put sand in. Yeah, uh, mm -hmm. I would because for me, ultra low maintenance means avoiding like uh, all kinds of like unknown problems. Mm -hmm. when you start dealing with problems like that is a million miles away from low maintenance. Like it, uh, always trying to like you know get the hammer out to whack the next mall is just no fun. Mm -hmm. And I know that I'll get over it in the you know, nine to twelve months, but I just don't want to do that at all. And so for me, alternatively. I'll just clean the sand. I don't care. Uh, I will clean the sand. And actually, I like the way that sand looks anyway. Mm -hmm. So the combo of those two things is uh, I'm willing to do the work for the result. Yeah, my preference uh, is I don't want to uh, have my siphon tube in, in the sand all the time. I don't want to have my arms. I want to have my arms in the tank as little as possible. Hard to do when I was year one reefer. Uh, but now, uh, now that I have some expectations, I know what to expect. I know how long I probably have to wait. Uh, and I can just really take my time and be patient with it. Having auto water change, having bare bottom, keeping enough flow and the detritus suspended where I really don't have to unless, I, unless I'm seeing pockets of detritus, just go in there and hit it real quick with a siphon tube. I can keep my hands out of the tank and I'm not one to want to like siphon up sand. So I'm gonna put Randy on the spot here, uh, <laughs> and we're not gonna let you know right now. Uh, but Randy's gonna start a brand new tank here, oh, yeah. and uh, we're gonna tell you about it a little bit later in this episode. 
but I can't wait to hear whether or not he's actually going to put sand in his tank after saying that. Yep. Uh, so I, I guess you guys will find out in probably like a few minutes here. But like, I really want to know, man, because when you make a decision, like people ask you what you know the best advice is, mm -hmm. and then it's what you do for yourself. Yeah, right. You know, sometimes they don't match up. So I don't know. I can't wait to put you on the spot and find out. But that'll be just in a few minutes. Uh, you know, for me though, man, like uh, I, I don't know the. The whole bare bottom thing was just super, super hard for me, and I, I would do it again mm -hmm. with the you know right caveats. Uh, but ultra low maintenance, I think, just leave the sand in and clean it. All right, so in the end here, I, I think ULM uh, in terms of SPS, which we just said isn't really mixed, but like if you're really uh, destined to go down that path, man, I think the uh, E170 is actually the best example mm. of how like to not overly think it and uh, put all this technology into it and all this equipment and plumbing, whatever. Keep it simple yep. and it'll actually produce some of the best results. Yeah, that was the, if there was a, the message from the BRSWWC, Simple and stable, and we and beat it in your head there. Uh, but now you can see the fruits of that type of approach. So where are we going next with all these tanks is like probably the biggest question, right? Mm -hmm. And so uh, I'll let you tell the first one. Yeah, so like I mentioned, how much of an eyesore personally those corals are in the softy tank. Uh, we're gonna get rid of some of them. Uh, we're gonna chisel out the, the some of the ugly ones, the ones that we that really don't pop, and uh, we're getting a bunch of new vibrant colors, vibrant corals in there. There is a frag tray that's already got us kind of started in that direction. Now we just got to get uh, Josh in there to kind of chisel down some, you know, chisel down some of that GSP, get some of those pallies off of the rock, and put some new uh, nice vibrant color type stuff in there, and really just brighten this tank up, make it a show display tank. You know, you say Josh, you know, another good person to actually do this. Josh does a lot of the maintenance for the tanks around here, by the way. Yeah. But Josh Pork Sandwich, Ooh, uh, who does zoanthids. If you've seen you uh, in our other videos, you <laughs> see all those uh, zoanthids on the wall behind us. Yep. Uh, he actually grows those all out and goes to all the reef of Palooza. So, That's uh, the goal Yeah, thing. maybe we'll pick some out special there and import them here as well. But yeah, we're gonna clean up the softy tank, you know, get some of the tanks, uh, the like stuff that's overgrowing out. Mm -hmm. uh, I don't know, maybe let the GSP just keep growing all over it's the place. It's pretty cool. I don't know. Uh, <laughs> but I'll let you say the next thing, uh, like where one of the ULM tanks is going. So obviously the SPS ULM 60 gallon cube that was right here is not here anymore. Uh, it's in my office and it's been there for, well, I don't know, about a year or so. <laughs> and finally I got the gumption, I got the drive to, to uh, set it up again. And uh, kudos to you and your thought process to try to make it overcomplicated to make it ULM. Because it's not ULM, but it's got some sweet gear on it. It's really plumbed pretty awesome. I got UV sterilizer, which now we're learning more things about UV sterilizers on. Uh, I've got dual return pumps, uh, the dual core 20s on there. Uh, so uh, I got an apex on there, so now I can monitor the whole thing. So everything is there in place to be successful and have this really awesome, I'm going SPS dominant with it. And I took some of that real reef branch rock and just said, I wanna make a scape wrapped around uh, just branch rock only. Uh, turned out pretty cool. We'll see how it fills in. I might make some changes. Uh, but your biggest question there that you put me on the spot was, am I going to stick with bare bottom or go with sand? Uh, right now, I put all the branch rock on a uh, foundation, a Marco foundation rock piece, and uh, it doesn't look good to my eye. Like, <laughs> 
Uh, I've got this white bare dry rock and this nice purple branch and obviously there's some separation there between like aesthetics. So uh, we went and visited, uh, sh uh, we went and visited uh, that tank, that Sean's tank, 2,000 gallon tank. Mm -hmm. And he had the, you know, the largest crushed corals, sand bed type pieces. It wasn't your special grade carob sea. It definitely wasn't the, like the fine, uh, bo uh, the oolite sand. Uh, but it was crushed coral, and it looked like chunks of coral. And I think that might be what I go with in that bottom of that tank. So I'll get some substrate to kind of like bridge that gap between black ABS bottom and bright white uh, new dry rock. Um, but within that, I really can't vacuum that large type of substrate either. I mean, I it. might be able, yeah, I can siphon it, but I, th I also think in that I might be able to just kind of churn the stuff up a little bit and get that whatever's holding on underneath suspended and up out of the water column. Certainly no shortage of filtration in the tank. Uh, I'm <laughs> actually a little jealous because that tank was super fun to build. Yeah. Uh, one of the most fun plumbing projects actually for a really small tank. It's it was really nice. I can't tell you how many times we had to put that thing together to be able to plumb it yep. uh, and get every last piece of that equipment it's into perfect. that super small form factor. Yep. So uh, it was super, super fun. Uh, you know, uh, and it's not really a ULM, I'll agree, but it's a super advanced, fun, fun tank. Yeah. Uh, you know, so the next, you know, what's, what's next for tank trials actually is an interesting one, mm. you know? So like, again, for me, the most fun thing is we get to test stuff and then share it with you guys and we all learn together. And like every single year, man, I just like learn more and more mm. and more. And like, there's so much discussion around here. Like, what if this would work? What if that would work? And then like, man, I don't even feel like I'm in the same world that I was in 10 years ago. No, not even know, close. Much less five years ago. <laughs> That's true. And you just, there's some amount of knowledge just keeps building on itself. So the next tank trial, is actually at my house, yeah. right? I mean, like, I don't, and I didn't really think about it that way until we were talking about it today. But you know, we're building that tank in my house, uh, and I'm gonna take all the knowledge. Uh, mm. It's my own tank, my own house, so like, I want it to be as successful as humanly possible. Right. I don't really thinking about it. I'm not thinking about ULM, but like, I have a one-year-old and a three-year-old, and uh, like, I have very little time in my life, so it cannot take over my life, mm -hmm. right? And it needs to look nice all the time. So you're gonna learn like all of it. My best of my attempts. I'm gonna take everything that I possibly learned, take every resource that I know that I talk to all the time in the reefing hobby, beg all the best information out of everybody, and do my best, and then share it with you guys, and you can watch how it all comes together in real time in my own house. So if you guys want to see that, uh, you got the tank and the sand yep. uh, and the stumps all here. I just got a quote for how to move it into my house down <laughs> the snowy hill. And uh, you can actually go check all of that out in the playlist right here. Thanks for checking out the ULMs, and uh, we'll continue up the updates. The BRS 360 and the next train trials right there.